on WealthTrack, why a reassessment of retirement planning is in order. Given how elevated the market is and low return expectations for fixed income securities, for stocks, the tricky part is that people embarking on retirement today need to probably take less than that 4%. They would probably need to start more in the range of 3%. Morningstar's personal finance guru, Christine Benz, joins us with her checklist on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, First Eagle Investment Management, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. One of the biggest changes of the past year has been the record number of Americans who are quitting their jobs. It is so pronounced that it has a name. It's called the Great Resignation. The so-called quit rate has exceeded pre-pandemic highs for months. Millions of Americans have walked out the door. A sizable number are starting their own businesses. According to the Wall Street Journal, since the pandemic began, the number of unincorporated self-employed workers has risen by more than half a million to nearly 10 million, one of the highest levels in years. And the number of applications for federal tax ID numbers to register new businesses soared to nearly 5 million, the highest number on record. Another huge contributor to the Great Resignation is the surge in retirement. Since March of 2020, the number of adults 55 and older who retired was nearly 2 million more than the rate was pre-pandemic. What the Great Resignation means for retirement planning is just one of the items on Christine Benz's financial to-do list this year. Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance is joining us for the fourth year in a row to help us get in personal financial shape. Benz, a WellTrack regular, is an acknowledged personal finance guru. She has held the title of Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance since 2008. She writes daily personal finance columns for Morningstar, does interviews and podcasts, and is the author of several books, including 30-Minute Money Solutions, a step-by-step guide to managing your finances, and the Morningstar Guide to Mutual Funds, Five Star Strategies for Success. She has also been named to Barron's List of 100 Most Influential Women in U.S. Finance for the last two years. I began our conversation by asking her about the impact the Great Resignation could have on retirement planning. Well, I think there are a few things that people who are hanging it up from work need to be thinking about with respect to retirement planning. One is that there's sort of the standard rule of thumb for thinking about whether you have enough for retirement, and that's called the 4% guideline. And it basically means could you live on 4% of your portfolio plus whatever income sources you might have? So if you're taking Social Security, you'd have that too. The tricky part is that given how elevated the market is and low return expectations for fixed income securities, for stocks, the tricky part is that people embarking on retirement today need to probably take less than that 4%. They would probably need to start more in the range of 3%. So I think people who are looking upon drawing upon their portfolio for their living expenses need to use that as kind of a quick and dirty starting point for assessing the viability of their retirement plans. That's a big drop, Christine. I mean, from the 4% has been the kind of the traditional 
assumption that you know that you should plan on taking four percent of your retirement savings, whatever, um, and that will last you for thirty years. But and certainly, if you retire early, you're going to have a longer retirement plan. But you're saying three percent uh, in general now—that's kind of the new standard. Our research concluded that if you have a 30-year time horizon, a balanced portfolio, and you want to have like a 90% probability of not running out of money during that 30-year time horizon, 3.3% is a good starting point. That's probably overly precise, I think, if you were to be sort of in that 3.5% range. But certainly people who have extended time horizons, so people who expect to be retired for 40 or 50 years, and this would apply to people in their 40s who are retiring today, they'd want to set that withdrawal rate even lower, probably in the realm of 2%. And there, that starts to begin looking more challenging in terms of, could you live on that amount? Christine, as far as the the great resignation is concerned, and more and more people being self-employed, I mean, that means they're not going to have a regular paycheck. So the impact on retirement planning for someone who's self-employed, what should they be thinking about? Well, certainly people who are embarking on self-employment do have some vehicles that they can use to continue to fund their own retirements. So IRAs, SEP IRAs for self-employed individuals. Healthcare, though, is a big wild card for self-employed people, as you know. And so I think it does make sense to really make sure you have a good health care plan. I think that's one big impediment to people being more entrepreneurial, that they're worried about how they will do for health care coverage. But oftentimes you do tend to see this trend when people embark on self-employment, investing in their business comes first, and oftentimes they do tend to short shrift their own retirement. So it's super important to keep that in mind. If you are self-employed, make sure that those ongoing retirement plan contributions are part of your budget. Christine, thinking about the uh, the new 3.5% withdrawal rate, there are some more flexible strategies that you're suggesting. What are they? Well, the name of the game is that you want to be able to Uh, withdraw less if you happen to encounter a down market. And that's particularly important in the early years of retirement. There's this phenomenon that retirement researchers call sequence of return risk or sequencing risk. And that basically means that you retire and then encounter a lousy market environment right out of the box. That's the thing you worry about. And one way that you can protect yourself against that is potentially taking less in those down markets. So in our research, we tested a number of different flexible strategies, and that's really a commonality among them. They help new retirees take a little bit more initially than that 3.3% or 3.5% that we talked about. In exchange, though, the trade-off is that as a retiree, you have to be prepared to take less. So one really simple tweak to sort of the fixed real withdrawal system that underpins that 4% guideline or the 3.3% guideline in in our world is to simply forego inflation adjustments. So forego inflation adjustments in the year after your portfolio has endured a loss. We found that that is a really simple strategy that actually does help enlarge retirees' portfolios over their lifetime. 
There are a number of other more complicated strategies. Another one we looked at is called the guardrails system. This was developed by financial planner Jonathan Guyton and William Klinger, who's a computer scientist. It's a little bit more complicated. It, it, it ensures that the retiree takes less in down markets, but in exchange, he or she can take more when the portfolio is up. So in environments like right now, you'd be able to get a little bit of a raise because the market has been good. That strategy is more efficient. It means that the retiree consumes more of his or her portfolio over the lifetime, but it also tends to leave less at the end. So for people who are really bequest-minded, such a strategy wouldn't be a great idea. Talking about flexible strategies, obviously we would take into account if if we are eligible, our social security income stream, which is inflation protected, but also what about annuities, which in the past have you know gotten a bad name, but that's another possible income stream possibility that we should consider, right? Absolutely. I think job one, even before you start thinking about withdrawal rates, is to look at your non-portfolio income sources. So looking at Social Security, looking at an annuity possibly. And the reason is that we've got more and more folks who are coming into retirement without the benefit of pensions. So the name of the game is to look at your fixed cash flow needs and then try to match them to non-portfolio income sources. Annuities do have a bad name, I think rightfully so in some respects, largely because you've got some incredibly opaque, expensive products, but there are also some really good annuities that do offer lifetime benefits. I tend to favor the very simple plain vanilla annuities, the fixed immediate annuities or fixed deferred annuities where there's a lot of transparency for consumers. They tend to be lower cost and, and you can easily comparison shop. And I would also say if you're thinking of an annuity as part of your toolkit, don't go straight to the insurance company. Go to a fee-only financial planner. Get some objective guidance on whether that makes sense for you given your situation. But the important thing about annuities is that as an annuity purchaser, you benefit from what's called longevity risk pooling, meaning that you are in the pool with other people. Some will die younger than expected. Some will live a lot longer. You hope you'll be one of the longer lived ones. And in so doing, you'll be able to enjoy a, a larger sum of money out of that annuity than will people who die earlier. One of the criticisms of annuities recently, even you know the fixed income annuities, is that interest rates are so low. So the returns historically are low. Well, that is a risk factor that um, interest rates are very low. So arguably, arguably you're locking in a fairly, fairly low payout. So there are a couple of workarounds. One would, do, would be to do a series of annuity purchases over a period of several years. Um, but one other risk factor that I think does loom large with annuities is inflation risk, which is certainly front and center for a lot of people today, especially retirees. Um, most annuities do not offer an inflation adjustment in, in that payout. So if we do see inflation run, run much higher than it has historically, that would be a risk factor for new annuity buyers. The main benefit of annuities is that longevity risk 
pooling, and that does tend to elevate payouts from annuities quite substantially above what you get with fixed rate investments. Talk to us about um, of how we protect ourselves and our portfolios against inflation. Yeah, it's a huge topic today, mm-hmm, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to kind of think of this problem as two sides of a ledger. So I would start by looking at your expenditures. And I often think about this column that Jason Zweig wrote uh, probably a decade ago. He called it meflation. And the idea is that we don't experience inflation as CPI. We each have our own consumption basket. And some people might have higher inflation because the stuff they're spending on is inflating at a higher rate than CPI. Some people may have lower rates of inflation. So really take stock of how you're spending your money. If you're a homeowner, the nice thing about that is that at least your housing costs are somewhat inflation protected. You may have sort of ancillary housing costs if you're paying people to do things around your house or your your home heating costs may be going up, but at least your sort of main big ticket housing expense is locked down. Um, healthcare costs have historically been inflating higher than the general inflation rate. The good news is that right now, at least, healthcare costs do appear to be running below CPI, which is somewhat rare and it may sort of reverse itself. So think about how you're spending your money and then turn your attention to whether you are protected in terms of where you're getting your income. So if you are someone who is earning a paycheck and you're eligible for cost of living adjustments, well, those are at least in part making you whole with respect to inflation. They're helping you keep up with CPI. In a worst case scenario, say you are a retiree and you're drawing exclusively from a portfolio of fixed rate investments for your withdrawals, for your income, you're not at all inflation protected. And you really need to think about, well, how, how can I protect this plan? How can I protect my withdrawals from inflation? And that's where I think stocks serve a great role. They're by no means any sort of direct inflation hedge, but they over time do tend to have higher returns than inflation, which is one reason why I think even older retirees would probably want to make room for stocks as a component of their portfolio. Within the bond piece of your portfolio, if you're retired especially, I think it makes sense to consider treasury inflation protected securities or I-bonds. And these are basically treasury bonds that give you a little bit of a nudge up in terms of your principal and in turn your turn your income when we see inflation running up. Another suggestion, Christine, that you've sent me on your to-do list Uh, is the fact how essential it is to look at your portfolio and consider rebalancing your portfolio. U.S. stocks have done really well. U.S. growth stocks have done really well. And, uh, and, you know, stocks in general have done well versus bonds. Is this a good time to rebalance? I think it is. I'll keep banging this drum. I, I think I said that a year ago, too, and yet we've seen kind of a similar performance pattern. U.S. stocks have, have performed very, very well. But I do think that this is a nice way, without having to get too cute about timing the market, this is a nice way to ensure that your portfolio's risk level stays in line with your targets annually take a look at your asset allocation relative to your target. If you're retired, I think the good news is that we've had a strong stock market and you're 
cash flow needs for the next couple of years are probably hiding in plain sight in terms of your appreciated equity assets. Think about taking some money off the table there, plowing it into safe investments that you can live on, and that will give you peace of mind. You'll leave a good share of your portfolio in stocks and it'll give you peace of mind to be patient with them if they do encounter some volatility. We're talking about rebalancing and taking profits in a, in a a highly appreciated asset class and you know shifting them over to one that hasn't appreciated as much but that's going to involve taxes <laughs> right so so talk to us about the tax considerations it's crucial to be thoughtful about this uh -huh. and to the extent that you have tax deferred or other tax advantaged assets it really does make sense to focus those activities in those accounts because you can trade all day long not not that you should but you could trade a lot and not incur any taxes even if you're selling appreciated winners so the good news is that for many retirees the bulk of their assets do reside in tax sheltered vehicles where they can make those changes they might owe taxes on the distributions that they take but the reposition Positioning would not entail any taxes. So if you're a younger investor, not yet retired, focus those rebalancing activities within your tax-sheltered accounts. Also take care with respect to converting IRA assets, traditional IRA assets to Roth. You sometimes hear that that's a good strategy. Be careful about doing that when the market is elevated because the taxes that you'll owe on those conversions will depend on your, your gains, the size of your balance and the amount that you're converting. So get some tax help, whether you're doing this repositioning to get your portfolio back into balance or whether you're doing IRA conversions, get another set of eyes on what the tax tax implications might be. And, and another uh, tax-friendly strategy is, of course, charitable donations, right? So true. The, yeah. the charitable contributions of appreciated securities, you can do that at any age. You can actually get a donor-advised fund into the act where you can donate those appreciated securities, even employer stock to a donor advised fund. And the beauty of that is that you can take your time and be deliberate about making those charitable contributions. You can direct those contributions over time. Older adults who are uh, required to take minimum distributions from their IRAs can also use what's called a qualified charitable distribution, where they donate a portion of their uh, RMDs to charity. There's a little bit of a disconnect um, mm -hmm. with the ages. You can start the, the QCD, the Qualified Charitable Distribution, at age 70 and a half. RMDs kick in at age 72. So if you're 70, 70 and a half, start looking at this strategy. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it is a way to lower your tax bill and also lower the amount of balance that uh, will be subject to, to required minimum distributions down the line. For those still working, you check your retirement plan contributions. So t talk to us about what's changed uh, this year that from last year. We're seeing a little bit of an increase in 401k, 403b, mm -hmm. 457 contribution limits. So going up to 20,500 in uh, 2022 for people who are under age 50. Mm -hmm. If you're over 50, you can take $27,000 in terms of 401k contributions. So if you haven't revisited those contributions that you're making, check to see if you're on track to make the maximum allowable contributions. 
IRA contributions are staying the same for 2022, but uh, take a look at whether you are on track to max out your IRA contributions. I love the idea of automating those just as you do with 401k contributions where you're signing on the dotted line with your uh, IRA provider to make ongoing contributions. The nice thing is, is that you can just invisibly make those contributions. It, it doesn't give you time to, to equivocate about whether it's a good time to make those contributions. They just come right out of your checking account. We've had a you know 10 year, longer than 10 year bull market now. For retirement planning, what are the risks? I mean, are there psychological risks to having this prolonged bull market? I think it's a good news, bad news story. So, you know, we were talking earlier about that lower withdrawal rate that is in order. The good news is it's a lower withdrawal rate on a larger balance for many retirees. So it may translate into a higher dollar withdrawal than would have been the case five years ago. Because if you've been investing, if you've been in the stock market, you've enjoyed that nice appreciation, but it is a lower percentage. But I do think the psychological aspect of this is huge, Consuelo, because a lot of retirees have been through many market downdrafts. And so their risk tolerance, their comfort level with risk is higher than it will ever be during their lifetime, just as they're embarking on retirement. The problem is their risk capacity, their ability to absorb that risk as they get into drawdown mode, as they get into drawing upon their portfolios, that's actually diminished a little bit. So it's an odd disconnect. And I think it's important to keep in mind the distinction between risk tolerance, it may be high at retirement, risk capacity is lower because you're going to be starting to draw upon that portfolio. And you certainly don't want to be drawing upon a 100% equity portfolio. You want to have safer assets that you could draw upon if a bad market materializes, especially early on in your retirement. So the common wisdom is as you are, get closer to retirement is to increase your more defensive assets. And even though bonds don't feel like they're defensive, um, that uh, that's what we should be doing. And, and cash, certainly, which has been you know, really criticized and kind of diminished as far as Wall Street is concerned, it's value, but it can be quite valuable. So, so that type of strategy is still in place as you get closer to retirement or in retirement is to increase your defensive assets. Very much so. At, you know, I, the way I think about it is, given how low yields are, it's not return on capital. You will not get much in terms right. of a yield or a return from these investments. In fact, current yields are a really good predictor of what you're able to earn from fixed income assets over the next decade. Well, that's a low return, but it is return of principle that we know, especially during equity market downdrafts, we know that high quality fixed income securities tend to hold up relatively well during those periods. And that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for something that will hold stable during that period when you, you're needing to spend from it. So I do think that the rule of thumb or the thought about, about de-risking a portfolio as, re, as retirement draws close absolutely still holds up. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, Christine, what would you have us all own some of? 
Well, we've been talking about inflation protection and, and worries about inflation. And so I do think that people who are looking at retirement and getting close to spending from their portfolios might consider an inv investment in treasury inflation protected securities. And one fund I like of this ilk is Vanguard short-term inflation protected securities. It is a very low cost product. It's very conservative, so your return will not be great over your holding period, but it will do a good job of defending against inflation. And unlike some other treasury inflation protected funds, it tends to not be very interest rate sensitive, so it invests in short-term treasury inflation protected securities. So it tends not to be buffeted around by interest rates. And that's a good thing, especially if you're worried about inflation, we often see higher interest rates go hand in hand with inflation. And so in such a product, in a short-term tips fund, you'll be relatively protected from some of the interest rate related uh, volatility that often accompanies longer term tips funds. All right, Christine Benz, thanks so much for joining us Thank with you, your Consuelo. annual to-do list. It's, it's my pleasure. Our pleasure as well. Thanks, Christine. Thank you so much. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is think twice before joining the great resignation movement. As we just discussed, retirement tends to be longer and more expensive than most of us realize. Early retirement can really put a dent in your retirement income. Self-employment is very appealing, but it does have some drawbacks. Lack of a regular paycheck, benefits and matching 401k contributions, plus all of the backup services we take for granted. Offices, supplies, tech support, etc. are expensive. It pays to do some hard analysis with family, friends, and advisors before walking out the door. Well, next week, Social Security guru Mary Beth Franklin updates us on managing that crucial retirement program and other strategies to maximize retirement income. In this week's extra feature, what keeps Christine Benz motivated as the incredibly busy, multitasking head of personal finance at Morningstar. For those of you active in social media, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for sharing your precious time with us. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.